Hi, my name's Pastor Daniel. I'm so excited you're taking an opportunity to watch this sermon. We believe that anytime we open the Word of God, that we have an opportunity to be changed because the Bible is the actual live Word of our Heavenly Father. And we hope that this impacts you in a positive way. A quick word of caution, and that is that this sermon that you're about to watch is by no means uh, the church. It's not a substitute for a church. It's not a substitute for a pastor in your life. The church is not a building. The church is the body of Christ, a group of believers doing life together, worshiping and pursuing Jesus together. In no way should this be any sort of primary discipleship in your life, and in no way should this replace the pastor that somewhere God has called to shepherd you. We hope sincerely that you're part of a local church somewhere. And if you're not, I wanna encourage you to go find a local church to be part of, because for all of the ups and downs and messiness of the local church, the Bible calls it the bride of Christ. It is the hope of the world. And you need to be part of one because it'll help. If you don't know where or how to find a local church, we'd love to help. You can simply go to our website and email us at hello at resurrect.church and we'll do our best to plug you in. We appreciate your time. We hope that this supplementary discipleship impacts you in a positive way. We believe the Bible has a profound impact on us when we allow God to speak to us. Thanks. Pastor Daniel, I'm one of the lead pastors here, and uh, we're in week six of a, a series about humility, around humility, called Antidote for Self, and we uh, planned this series all the way back in uh, probably February or March, and so the, the way that the preaching team works is uh, what we, we plan out anywhere from six to 12 months at a time, just kind of where we believe that the Lord is leading us. And then we had kind of landed on this book, Around Humility by Gavin Ortland. Uh, if you've been reading that in your small groups, phenomenal book. And we, we knew we wanted the church to read it. We knew we wanted to do a series around this. And so we began doing some, some work on uh, what types of sermons and what passages and so on and so forth. And we, we ended up with a big list, and then we narrowed that down to six. Well. The passage today, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, we chose specifically to preach last week in order to talk about envy, which you're gonna see here in these uh, verses. And then uh, through just some, some uh, mishaps and people having lots of work responsibilities, it ended up falling today. And so I'm reading through it and realizing that it's not really about envy. I mean, it's there and it certainly is happening. We'll, I'll explain that in a minute, but that's not the, the primary purpose here. Uh, but I want to explain something that happens when you read the Bible, or should be happening when you read the Bible, which is um, the text drives us. And what I mean by that when you're preaching is it doesn't matter what topic you think you're preaching, you preach the text. And so uh, in your life, 
the same thing occurs, except that the, 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 the Bible would say that it's going to be um, a light to you. It's going to be a, a, a guide or a light to your feet. You, you, you can see life because of the text. And if you're not sure what that analogy means, what it means is we have this amazing way to tell stories to ourselves. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Not, none of you, just me? Okay, it's just me. It's my problem. Imagine, if you will... Someone who lies to themselves very well. But, but in this insidious way where you tell yourself a story and you repeat it in your head enough times that you start to believe it. Yes? Oh, oh, oh a couple of you. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and the thing that's so devastating about that is that um, usually you don't start by making something really wild. It just, it's one degree after another, right? You, you just change reality a little bit of time in your head and, 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 and then over time you, you end up way off course. What, what the Bible does that is so normalizing is that it is this, this perfect compass and so if we will just steep into it, like if we could just get into it, it, it brings us back to the truth over and over again regardless of a, a small error or a larger, it brings you, it normalizes you and so I just continue to encourage you like stay in it, stay in it, stay in it, stay in it. I don't... Man, it will change you over time if you let it. And so uh, the more I read this text, the more I realized it was about something different. So we're, gonna, we're just going to work on what it's about. Uh, and I believe that, I believe fervently that God speaks through his word to his people. So you open your ears, you open your heart, you listen to the Lord. The Lord is just going to start working. I have three people after the first service who are like, that's exactly, like they thought I was preaching to them, which is always a weird experience, right? When they're almost like, have you been talking to people? And I'm like, yes, but probably not anyone you know. Uh, also, I mean, the amount of organizing that would take. Anyways, but that's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So we're going to listen. We're going to let God preach through his word today. Um, it's going to be good. So in 1 Corinthians, let me give you a little context. The church in Corinth is... Um, they're a fairly wealthy church. This is a Greek culture. They're, they're kind of modern uh, in, in the uh, Roman Empire, a successful uh, town, city with some wealth and successful people. And they're, all, they're not dumb. These are, these are smart people. Um, I know we we're going to read a lot of the rebukes and stuff from various churches and think that they're idiots, but they're actually pretty smart, but they're also idiots. We can relate, yes? <laughs> and so what has happened is in, in this secular Greek culture, what is highly valued is wisdom, knowledge. And so um, that's really the, the thing, right? Like if, if today in American culture, it's about fortune and wealth, in Greek culture, it, it's, about, it's about wisdom and being seen as having the knowledge and, and, and debate and having lofty arguments and, and kind of being seen as the wisest, most intelligent. So what's occurred is that value system has seeped into the church. And so where instead of they should have kingdom values, they begin to value some of these things and it messes everything up. And it's so insidious because they, they, there are lots of things Things that impact the New Testament churches, including, um, including in Corinth, sexual sin, but that's a little easier to spot. In fact, Paul at times is like, you shouldn't even, like, why is that still a thing? That's easy to tell that this one's insidious. This is subtle. It has seeped all inside the church. And so then what has occurred, because they're valuing this, is they're mad at Paul, who, by the way, you know, preached the gospel and brought them to faith, but they're kind of mad at him because the accusation is he's not teaching them lofty enough arguments so that they can increase in wisdom to kind of be like, you know, this high level. So, so, so they're, mad, they're kind of mad at him, and he is going to not so gently, like, 
in the first couple chapters here. Like, I mean, it's, we're going to tone it down a little, but it's, it's, it's pretty rough. So in chapter one, he, he kind of addresses it a little bit. And he begins to tell them, he's addressing this argument. In chapter two of, of 1 Corinthians, he even dumbs it down a little bit more. And he says, listen, I'm not going to give you lofty arguments. I'm not going to give you articulate arguments. I'm not going to give you, I preach the cross. I preach Christ crucified and nothing else. Because that's how God works. And so we're going to get to chapter three. And what he's going to do is not only detail out the problem in the church, he's going to quote them. I mean, he keeps receipts. He's like Deion Sanders. I keep receipts. I mean, he, he, in quotations, he's going to quote members of this church who are causing some of these problems, which, man, you know church drama's bad when your gossip is quoted in the Bible. <laughs> Thank the Lord they're not still writing the Bible right now. <laughs> Whew! Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 10 today. Here we go. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Now, in your Bible, underline spiritual people. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. These are two Greek terms we're going to work on here. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. Okay. Spiritual people, uh, that, that translation, the Greek word for that is pneumaticoi, pneumaticoi. And uh, the, the, what's so interesting about that is this is a term that the Corinthian people uh, in this church have given themselves. So, so Paul's not calling them this. He, he's, he's, he's saying, you call yourself spiritual people. Okay, first rule of nicknames is you don't get to give yourself a nickname. We all know that, right? Those are lame nicknames. If you try to give it to yourself, that doesn't ever work. Well, you could just call me. No, I'm not going to call you that. I'll call you Francis. <laughs> they have claimed to be spiritual people. This is, the, this is the term they're going by, right? You can already see the pride. Can you not? Okay. We're labeling our, like, like I, this is Pastor Daniel, but like if I, if I, if I just label myself like highly spiritual, I exceed at humility, you know, and I'm like, I'm labeling my, like, already we got problems. So he's bringing this up. I can't address you spiritual people as pneumaticoi. Instead, I'm going to address you as people of the flesh. Now, there's three terms uh, that he, he's going to use interchangeably here and in other uh, texts. First is spiritual people, so spiritually mature, right? And he's kind of poking at them a little bit because they've called themselves that. But oftentimes you'll hear him, and even in this text, he'll say um, the Greek word psychicus, psychicus. And and what that essentially means is the natural man. And and he uses the term natural man to mean unsaved. So when, when you hear him say the natural man or the natural person, what he's essentially saying is someone that doesn't know Jesus, that's never been saved, that's still dead in their sin, that Jesus hasn't raised from the dead. He's not saying that about them. He's saying of the flesh. So this is a third term. This is the one he's bringing up. He's making up this term now. Um, And that term is sarcicus, sarcicus. So in Latin, S-A-R-K, sark, or S-A-R-X, sarks, it always means flesh or body. And so he's saying, you are people of the flesh. Now, he's not calling them non-Christians. He's calling them Christians who are living by the flesh and so are infants or not spiritually mature. 
And then he brings up milk versus solid food. Now, if you've not heard this before, this little analogy he's gonna use of I had to feed you with milk, not solid food, it's used three separate times in the New Testament by three separate authors. It's used here by Paul in 1 Corinthians. It's gonna be used again by Peter in 1 Peter, and it's gonna be used by the author of Hebrews. And I thought because I've, I've read this so many times in so many different books, that this must have just been like a theme in the early church that they, they worked on, like they came from somebody's preaching, and it kind of has some similarities to some stuff Jesus said, and I thought, man, this must have been something the apostles heard, and they carried out through the formation of the early church. It's not, it's actually a cultural reference. See, it's okay for me to continue to drop cultural references in sermons. <clears throat> It's a, it's a cultural reference. This is actually the analogy that it's used in this Greek Roman culture about growing in wisdom. So, so their analogy for like why we should grow in wisdom and, and be like smarter and wiser and have more lofty arguments was that you would be growing from milk to solid food or to meat to these complex things. Their term, so what is he doing? He takes their label and he's poking them, right? Oh, spiritual people, right? And then he's taking their cultural value system, milk and solid food, and he's using that. So he's taking things that they're arguing, that they and their distorted minds have brought into the church that don't belong in the church, and he's using them to show them that there's a problem. So I can't feed you with solid food. I gotta feed you with milk. Verse three, why? For you are still of the flesh, sarks. For you are still of the flesh. What is he telling them when he says you're still of the flesh? He's not saying you're unsaved. He's saying you're saved. He's saying, I know you're saved. But you live like you don't know Jesus. Have you ever met anyone that lives like they don't know Jesus? Here's the problem. Christianity is not a label. Christian is not a box you choose when you're registering to vote. It's a relationship that leads to a lifestyle. And he's saying, listen, you may have been saved, but how in the world would I know? And we, we one, we all know people like that. So right now you can think of your neighbor. <clears throat> and two, we've probably all done that at some point, if not now. We know Jesus, but we live like we don't know him. In fact, it's worse. He's not just saying like, Man, I wouldn't even know you're a Christian from watching you. Like that, like that would be a bad thing. He's saying, like, from watching you, I would think you aren't a Christian. You, who has labeled yourself spiritual people, spiritually mature, and are mad that you're not getting more complex, lofty, high-end, wise, wisdom-leading stuff from me, I can't even tell you're Christian. Why? Why? What's, what are they doing that is so by the flesh? Verse three, for while there is jealousy and strife, conflict, dissension among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? There's the, in a human way is essentially unsaved way. Jealousy, the Greek word for that is zealous. It's also translated as religious zeal. Um, so, so, so this pride, arrogance sort of in their religiosity. Yes, I made that word up. Uh, Paul uses that same word to describe his life before he met Jesus when he was persecuting Christians in the early church before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He says this about himself. Strife, uh, as translated here in the ESV, also called quarreling in another translation, is the Greek word for that is eris, dissension. What Paul is telling the church here, and, and this is 
critical because it has some parallels to American church is this. The litmus test for immaturity, spiritual maturity, is that you're living like Jesus hasn't changed you. A non-changed lifestyle. And in this case, that litmus test is not some far-flung, like um, overtly terrible thing, a sexual sin or, or some other thing that you could point out that everyone's like, oh, shame. No, 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 it's jealousy and unhealthy conflict in the church. Jealousy and quarreling and unhealthy conflict in the church. Now listen, um, church hurt and, and the many people in American church over the course of the last 70 years that have experienced church hurt. There's certainly cases of church hurt that come from an abuse of power where uh, leaders or those in authority have, have hurt or offended um, or done something terrible to someone in church and, and it comes from. But that's not the majority of church hurt. The majority of church hurt is not from an abuse of power. Rather, it's just really mean, petty people living like they're not saved and hurting other people in the church. The majority of the bad experience in the church. Now listen, I'm, I'm not talking about you have church hurt because they called you out for sinful behavior and you don't like that and you didn't want to repent and you ran away. That's not church hurt. Just being honest, right? That's a lack of repentance and hard-heartedness. You can deal with that somewhere separately or we can talk about that after. I'm talking about real church hurt where people were just mean. They were petty. They were hard to you. They, they offended you. They harmed you. They hurt you. And that came from people living in a secular manner inside the church. They've allowed secular means or secular value system to seep into a body of people that were meant to be set apart. And because it's Paul and he literally has no chill, he's gonna quote them. Verse four, for when one says, this is in quotation, so this is, he's quoting people in the church. For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What is he saying? Listen, politicking and arguments and rivalries and and this tribalism that's going on, that is fleshly behavior. That is fruit of the flesh. That is not spiritual behavior. That's not only not spiritual maturity. That doesn't even look like you're following Jesus. There was a point in chapter five of that book we read. It says, if the root of evil is pride, then one of the first fruits is envy. Essentially, this idea of envy and jealousy comes from pride. And so in this church, there's this pride that has borne itself into jealousy and envy and then into conflict in which they've basically been doing this. Well, I like this person better and I think they teach loftier arguments. And so I'm of the Apollos group or whatever. And so I'm not telling you, you can't have your favorite preacher or your favorite uh, type of preaching or your favorite type of music. Not that any of you guys would have a, a preference to... I'm not telling you that's bad. That's great. I, I love Matt Chandler. I have a man crush on that dude. I've watched almost all of his sermons. He's amazing. That's fine. Until I make it somehow a point in which to bring conflict into relationship because I like that. Like that if I begin to identify myself as a Chandlerite, I don't know if that's a thing, uh, and, I, and I begin to go down a path in which that identity now is creating conflict, that's a problem. You can like your style of music, but that begins to create conflict in the church because you like a specific style of music and you're gonna fight, we need more, oh, and I'm gonna complain. We got problems. And it's happening here. And it seems petty and silly, and they don't get it. But they are arguing 
and breaking into groups and tribes over which teacher they like more. And Paul is having none of it. And, and, and not only do you see things like this in the American church today, and I, I know I'm being hard on the American church, but, we, but, but our consumerism has reached new levels. Like we have this thing now with church hopping where like I, I, don't, I still don't think as Americans we understand the biblical church very well. Because like one of the things which we just do not do well as Christians is leave churches. Like we should teach a class on how to leave a church well because no one seems to know how to do it. You're not dating the church. Like, like, you get that, right? Like, we don't, it's not like Tinder where you're looking for churches like, oh. You're called to a church. It's not Amazon.com where you need to leave a review for each service. Yeah, I didn't really like hymns today. That's a 3.5 stars. Like, it, that's not the church. We're so, we're so uh, consumer-minded at this point. And, and you can even get to this level in, in, in our culture where, and you may have heard this, where like you have a friend that goes to another church and they kind of like, there's a little bit of like almost argument of like how good their church is. And they're like, so much better. Like we got the best church. We're, we, we're the best church. Like they're gonna argue over which church is better. Like that is mind blowing. You guys realize we're on the same team, Right? Like, if you preach Christ crucified, you're on the team. The collective, they're on the team. Like, I don't have bad things to say about them. The river and the way, river lakes, like these, are, these are really good churches. Valley Baptist, don't have bad things to say. Here's why. Not, not only are we the same team, so remember that, but just also think about the fact that if you're going to say something negative about a church that preaches Christ crucified, a Christian church. You're saying something negative about Christ's bride. So you're gonna demean my bride? We're gonna have a very tough conversation. Jesus is a lot more powerful than me. I would think twice before you say something about his bride. So Paul quotes them and then says, what? What then is Apollos? So Apollos is a teacher in the church. He's doing great. He's doing wonderful things. And people have decided to divide over him because they like him better. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? This is Paul speaking. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. What is he saying? Listen, for the most part, in, in the spiritual progress of your spiritual journey from salvation all the way through the sanctification which will land uh, end at the end of your life, not any one teacher is gonna get to see the whole thing. You have different people to pour into you at different times, different seasons, as God has appointed. Why in the world are you playing favorites here? I, I mean, if we really want to read into this analogy, also, you need to stay rooted and planted for a while if you want to grow. And church hopping does not help you grow. Anyways, I'm going to leave that there. These verses are talking through this idea of partnership and ministry, that we are on the same team, that we, have, we all have kingdom values or should have kingdom values as part of this process. And, and this is going to do a couple things. It's going to um, inform 
how we prioritize things, that's what values do, and it also is going to really define how should we, we should be treating one another in this process. And so what Paul is, is about to do here and is trying to do with them is saying, listen, the, you're saying you want to be wise or you're saying you want to be spiritually mature, spiritual people, except the very measuring stick that you have of what is mature is wrong. It's like if you were trying to weigh something with a tape measure. Bit of a problem? You're not even measuring the right thing. Like, I'm not gonna get an accurate weight here. I don't think you know how that works. It's like me trying to work on a car engine. Yeah, I think there's something wrong with the, uh... yeah, yeah, you, you, you can handle it. it doesn't... So we're gonna redefine spiritual maturity. He's gonna do it here. We're gonna do it today, okay? You with me? You with me? Okay. Now, what he's saying that we're gonna, we're gonna set this measuring stick on is that the litmus test for whether or not you're spiritually mature, in, in their case particularly, is how you treat one another. So it's not what you know, it's how you treat one another. In fact, what he's doing is he's pointing back to John 13, 35, when Jesus says this, in, in, in John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the thing that defines you as a spiritually mature person, as a disciple of Christ, is not the label that you put on. You don't get to go, yep, Christian, Judeo-Christian, I'm a Christian now, you know, no. You're defined as a Christian by how you love one another. And he's saying, you misunderstand growth. You're misunderstanding spiritual growth. You're misunderstanding the idea of spiritual maturity. That's what you're calling yourself spiritual people, but you're not. Because your envy, your pride, your jealousy, your unresolved conflict, not that you've ever had any of that, your poor feelings toward a brother or a sister in Christ, your unforgiveness, these are the measures of your immaturity. And according to the Bible, dissension, conflict, Unhealthy conflict comes from your fleshly nature. The very thing he's saying that they're, they're making, that you're people of the flesh, you're living by the flesh, you're not living by the spirit. James 4.1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It is your fleshly nature that is causing this conflict. Let me ask you a question, because this is what Paul's gonna get at right here, and, and, it, and it's right at the core, the, the crux of what matters here, um, have, you ever, have you ever heard someone say, uh, I'm just not being fed at this church? You ever heard someone say that? I'm just not being fed. I've had people say that. In the last 15, 20 years in various churches, I've had people, whether they were telling me because I, was, uh, I could do something about it because I was on staff, or they were just telling me because they were frankly gossiping. Um, I'm not being fed. And I always find that to be such an interesting statement. Because essentially they're using an analogy that's already in the Bible and there's an answer for them if they would read the rest of it, right? I'm not being fed. Because here's my question. Do you need to be fed? Because I feel like when you're an adult, you feed yourself. I, listen, if we at the dinner table, if like my wife goes to eat, I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 and I scoop it up and I'm like, here you do. It would not be a good evening. That's not going well. For me. Doesn't need to be fed. It's an adult. You, are you spiritually mature? Yeah. Why can't you feed yourself? Crickets. Who 
needs to be fed? A baby, an infant. You gotta hold the bottle. They got these little things that aren't even hands yet. This little chubby nubs, right? They can't even hold the thing. You gotta hold the bottle in their mouth. And you need to be fed? Okay. You need to be burped too? Maybe. Almost every time when someone says that, almost every time, here's what they're saying. And it's right out of 1 Corinthians 3. They're saying, I need to hear deeper theology. I need more information. That's what they're telling Paul right now in this letter. I need, more, I need deeper stuff. You know what he's telling them? No, you don't. You can't stay afloat in the shallow end. I'm not putting you in the deep end. Lifeguard's gonna have to come pull you out. Deep end? Let me see if we can make this very easy. Like, this is what Paul's looking at. Okay. I'm, I'm, we're gonna do a little um, audience participation. You're welcome. You get to choose between being one of two people. Person number one is a fitness guru. I mean, knows everything there is to know about fitness, knows the diets, can calculate your met- met- metabolic rate, understands carb intake, knows all the diets and fads and workout things, can tell you all the right form, is an elite, like, like everything. I mean, you name it, like it's just a library of amazing fitness information and dietary and like you ask a question, it got three different answers for you, but they're really out of shape, don't work out, live an incredibly unhealthy lifestyle, have all kinds of health concerns and problems, are lethargic for lack of energy because they don't do anything active and are always back in the doctor with more health problems. That's person number one. Person number two, frankly, a little bit ignorant on a lot of the actual science behind it. Right? Still kind of learning and man, not really sure, couldn't maybe even answer or articulate all of the questions, but lives a really healthy lifestyle. In fact, has been living a healthy lifestyle long enough that now the tough health choices are actually kind of easy for them because they become habits. And so now has a a fit body and has the benefits of that fit body, which is the uh, the high energy and the mental acuity in the morning when when your your blood, you finally get your blood going and you, man, you have a real real clarity to your mind. This finds making healthy choices much simpler now because it's less of a choice of self-discipline and actually because it's become easy, but just doesn't have a lot of book knowledge. Who would you rather be, person one or person two? Person two. Man, that's it. So you're saying person one, I got, I, I don't even know where to go then. It's person two. Because it is a changed life that is a testament that you've actually learned anything. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters how you live. That's what he's trying to say. You want, you want more book knowledge? You can't handle the book knowledge you have. I need, a new, I need to know four new workout routines. No, you don't. You need to go to the gym. You crazy? If then the real measure of spiritual maturity is a changed life, a changed heart, if that's the measure, according to the Bible, then how do you and I get from milk to solid food? How do we do it? If that's what we're supposed to be doing, how do we do it? Well, Galatians is going to be really, really frank with us. It says if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, if you want to grow in the food of the Spirit, you're going to live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. It's an easy answer, right? Barely an inconvenience. (laughs) Just, yeah, you want to put that fleshy life behind you? Live by the Spirit. Super easy, not confusing at all. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) Hope you have a great week. I am a detail person. I need a few more details than that, Galatians. 
How do you live by the Spirit? How do you do that? Hebrews 5.14, which is one of the other references that talks about milk and solid food, gives us actually a little bit more insight to what it looks like. And it says this in Hebrews 5.14 about milk and solid food. It says, but solid food is for the mature. So there we are for the spiritual people like the Corinthians are claiming to be. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, there's some stuff in there that you need to unpeel. Powers of discernment, so wisdom, which is what they're asking for, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, in our minds, most of us think it's pretty easy to distinguish good from evil. Bad, good, black and white, very simple. That is not the case in our lives. In your day, in a single day, you make like 1,000 decisions, maybe 10,000 decisions. When to wake up, when to hit the snooze alarm, when to hit the snooze alarm a third time. <laughs> what to wear, when to leave for work, how to drive, good Lord, that's a decision, <laughs> y'all. You make decisions, 99.9999% of the decisions you make in a day, they're not morally good, morally bad. You gotta make it, they're not in the Bible. You have to have wisdom. You have to have powers of discernment. What is glorifying to God in this scenario? What is glorifying to God in every scenario? You, you might not even be asking that question. There's step number one, right? There's a lot of decisions. So you have to have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice. Now, here's the thing about constant practice. It's not constant practice in a vacuum. We're like, we put you in a nice room with low lights, maybe some candles, soft music. You sit at a table, comfortable chair, and we bring you case studies and you read them. Mm, evil, good, evil. Unfortunately, it's not that way at all. In fact, that doesn't really help. In reality, it's not an intellectual exercise. You're not removed from the situation where you get quizzed on it. In reality, you have to live it. You have to live it. In three ways. Here you go. Here's your three easy steps to become spiritually mature. After this, you can write a book. How I became spiritually mature. Three steps. Super easy, barely an inconvenience. You ready? Okay, step number one. Through trials while keeping the faith. You become spiritually mature through trials, through suffering. The Bible actually is very clear with you. In this world, you will have trouble. No ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to have trials. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have grief. It's going to be hard. James 1, 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's be honest, most of us do not count trials as joy, amen? amen. Not a lot of us are like, you know what I need today is some more suffering. <laughs> you don't, they're terrible. It says you should count them as joy and it says various kinds. So it's not going to be the same one. I got good at that one. Now I'm going to get a different kind of trouble, a different kind of trial, a different kind of suffering. Like, good Lord. What? Why? Why would I count this as joy? For you know that the testing of your faith, that's what trials do, produces steadfastness. That's consistency. That's reliability. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's spiritual maturity. So if you want to become spiritual mature, then you're going to be in trials to test your faith.
comfortable people rarely get spiritually mature. It's going to take some, some suffering. It's going to take hard times. Maybe a lot of them, probably a lot of them. Secondly, not only are you going to need to go through difficulty in order to shape and transform you, but secondly, through conflicts while resolving them. Now, that wording is very important. Through conflicts while resolving them, not just being in conflict. The church of Corinth is in conflict. It's not making them mature. Why? Well, because the Bible tells us that kingdom values, because of Jesus, we treat conflicts insanely different than we did before we met Jesus. Matthew 5, 9 says it this way. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers, proactive. You go make peace. Well, let me say it to you this way. Um, We all know, I hope, in Matthew 18, that if someone sins against you and you feel that wound, you're supposed to go to them and talk to them one-on-one. We talked about this last week or the week before, right? You guys remember that? Yeah, seven, eight of you? Okay, cool. Retention rate is at an all-time high. But Matthew 5, 21 through 24 adds on to that just a little bit. When Jesus is really looking at the law and he's trying to explain that this is not a checkbox thing, we're talking about your heart, he says this, you have heard it said, it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Hold on. You're telling me if I think really poorly of someone in my mind, I'm just as guilty as I am if I murder someone? I mean, if that's true, I got, I'm sitting in front of a room full of murderers, amen? Because good luck telling me that's never happened daily. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about just the outpouring of your heart. I care about your heart. And then he goes further. And this is the part we all hate. You're welcome. He says, so, because it's about your heart, verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So now the offense is in the other direction. You've offended them somehow. Maybe unwittingly, unknowingly, doesn't matter. But your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first to be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus just said, I'm gonna, I want you to take one of the most reverent acts of the Old Testament for a Jew, which is coming to the altar of God to give your gifts to him, to worship God. And if you know that there's conflict that's unresolved, even if it's the other person that has a problem with you, you're gonna leave your, now listen, All of y'all at some point or another have said something to the effect of like, I don't have a problem with them. I mean, they got a problem with me. They know where to find me. I ain't hard to find, right? They can come to me anytime they want to. Nope, ain't got no missed calls from anybody. Probably okay. I mean, like, you know, they got a problem. They, They can call. That's not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says if you know about it, you drop everything, including some of the most reverent acts of the Old Testament, and you leave them there interrupted, and you go find that person and get aggressively gentle. You proactively, not passive aggressively, go find the offended party to be a peacemaker, to resolve conflict. That's not passive, that's not a wallflower, that's not weak. That's strong, that's assertive, and it's loving. Amen? We mature through conflict by resolving those conflicts. Thirdly, through burdens while bearing them, through burdens while bearing them. And this is largely other people's burdens. I'm gonna read this to you in Galatians 6, one through two. It says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, in any transgression, so you catch someone in sin, they, they, they have a moral failure, they mess up, you who are spiritual, oh, there's that word again. So now we're talking about spiritually mature people. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, what's that word? Oh, well, again, a little louder. Okay, I just want to make sure you read that in English the way I did. Gentleness, we restore people who have moral failures in a spirit of gentleness, church. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So a warning, as we're instructed on how to do this, be careful, be careful. Don't get prideful that they fell and you didn't, be careful. And verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Therefore, it's our job to bear others' burdens. In fact, Romans 15, one would say it is our job to bear the burdens of the weak. It's our job to bear the burdens of those who fall in moral Like we, Our job is to pick other people's burdens up and walk with them. And it is a way in which you mature spiritually. So you're doing three things. Your easy three-step process to spiritual maturity that like by the time you leave here, you're all gonna be spiritually mature, I'm sure. Through trials while keeping the faith, through conflicts while resolving them, through burdens while bearing them. Until, here's the key, okay, you're gonna do this again and again and again and again, until you don't feel like it's not fair anymore. Because all three of those things feel unfair. Wait a minute, I have to go resolve the conflict? They could have called me. You're right, they could have, they didn't. They should have, it was weak. Wait, 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 I have to suffer and bear, yeah, you do. Wait a minute, I have to bear their burdens when they're, yes, you do. And all that's gonna feel unfair. And so you're gonna do this again and 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 again until it stops feeling unfair. And it's gonna take a while because man, we're stubborn and we are really consumed with whether or not things are fair. You're gonna be given trials, you're gonna be given conflicts, you're gonna be given burdens, and you're gonna be told by the Bible and good counsel around you to act in obedience in a way that is exactly 180 degrees contrary to the way you feel. Because the way you feel is fleshly, which is what Paul's trying to address here. You're you're giving in to these fleshly desires instead of acting in obedience, and obedience is gonna be opposite of the fleshly desires. Your flesh is gonna scream at you for selfishness and and pridefulness and being envious and being jealous, and the key is you do it anyways. And you do it over and over again in obedience, even though sometimes you don't feel like it, even though maybe most of the time you don't feel like it, until the spirit changes your heart enough that, ah, you know what, that's actually not so bad. And then you do it again and again and again until the spirit changes you even more, you're like, you know, 
That's actually okay. It's okay. I feel okay doing that. And then continues to change you, change you, change you, until you begin to look forward to it. And you're like, look forward to it. Count it all joy, my brethren. Yeah. Until you actually relish the opportunity to be poured out for kingdom purposes. It's going to take a long time. But when it happens, two things, when it happens, number one, it is the most liberating, freeing way to live life. It is absolutely an amazing way to live life. You will feel more satisfied and more contented as God is doing those things in you and through you than you'll ever have felt in your entire life. That's number one. Number two, when a church begins to be filled with people that are doing that, it looks nuts to an outside world. I mean, it, it, it looks, it, it's miraculous. It looks like magic to an outside world. It's not magic. It's the gospel. It's the work of the Holy Spirit maturing people in a church. It's spiritual maturity. The real measure of spiritual maturity is hard-fought unity and blood-bought peace. Hard-fought unity and blood-bought peace. That's one of the reasons why we no longer separate our services into different styles. You're in here with everybody else. We don't separate it by ages, by traditions, by all oh, this modern. We don't put our youth off in some other thing. Here's your little youthy thing. You can stay over there. Not we're all in here, side by side. Different demographics, different age groups, different generations. Certainly different politics, different feelings, different styles, different preferences. You're welcome for your hard-fought unity and blood-bought peace, because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Let me read you verses nine and 10. This is where Paul's gonna end up trying to explain what a church actually looks like if they were gonna get spiritually mature um, and what it looks like to minister and work inside of a church. Verse nine, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. I'm only here for a limited time at this church. I'm gonna have a really short stint getting to preach and lead in this church. How long? I have no idea, but in God's eyes, everything's pretty short. I didn't lay the foundation. Somebody else laid the foundation. I'm not gonna be here when it's finished. There can be other generations that we are raising right now. Young adults, youth, kids in our kids in ministry right now that will be preaching and leading people to Christ in future generations here. But I have, a, I have a limited time where God has called me into this church and my job is to build the portion that he asked to build and to do it faithfully and then to get out of the way and let someone else do it. And yours is too. You are called to a church. Hopefully it's this one. If not, let's find the one it is. And you are called to that church with a purpose you are a part of the body with a purpose to use your spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. You're not called to simply plop and pray. You were called here to be a part, to build upon a foundation that some other faithful generation has built so that we can prepare as best as possible this church and this body for the next generation. And it's worth it. 
it's worth it. I have a dream for this church. Three things that I believe that we're gonna see out of Resurrection Church over the course of the next few years as God continues to change and mold us. Number one, I think we're going to be uh, pretty serious, pretty convictional as a church about being known, about being known. That there are gonna be people uh, in this church that know you better than anyone else does. And that, that we're actually gonna put some really healthy pressure on you to be known. And that if you have uh, only dipped your feet in here and you've been coming for a while and you, you like to come into the, to the back pew and sit and then take off as quickly as possible and not be involved, I think you're gonna feel some real healthy pressure from us. You need to be known. And you need to know others at a much deeper level. And, and, and my aspiration is that we're gonna be a church in the future as we grow in which just about every person that would call this church their home has some people where they are known well. They are known, they, are, they can be very vulnerable with and they know them, care for them. It's number one. Number two, um, I believe this is gonna be a church uh, and already has, has started, that, that's already started here in us, but, but we're gonna continue to grow in this. We're gonna be a church that loves hard. Loves hard. I don't mean loves passionately. I mean loves hard. We love the hard people. We love through hard situations. We love when it's hard. And we love passionately. We're gonna love hard. That's gonna be difficult to do. Man, that's gonna, that's gonna involve some suffering, by the way. We're gonna be known. We're gonna love hard. And, and because of those two things, we're gonna impact the world. Like we're gonna watch the world around us, our communities around us, from Oildale to Rosedale to the state to the world be impacted by the gospel because of the way we're following Christ and we're allowing him to change us so that we can actually become spiritually mature as a church, not just as a label, but as a reality. That's exciting to me. That keeps me going. That fuels me. We're going to end our service with this. We're gonna have our, our elders and prayer team members up here. Um, and I wanna offer you an opportunity. If, uh, if, if through the preaching of this message, you begin to realize that you have some unresolved conflict, uh, you have some unforgiveness that you are harboring, um, you have some, some conflict that you should have dealt with and you've been, you've been running that cycle, that story, that argument, that conversation in your head for a while now and it's eating you up and you really should have gone and worked on it. Um, I want you to come up and get prayer an opportunity to uh, do something about it, to take that to the Lord, to put that at the foot of the cross. If you need prayer for any reason, we cherish an opportunity to pray for you. If you wanna know what it looks like to take next steps in your faith, we'd love to talk to you about that. Let me pray for us and then you move as the Lord leads you. Father God, thank you for your son and for your church, God, your bride. God, we thank you that uh, you are the designer of this church. You are the head of it. God, you have architected it. None of it is dependent on us, God, but rather it's an opportunity for us to grow into the body, into the head, God. I thank you for the people that you have ordained and designed to be in this church, God, that you have intended for them to be here, God. And I ask for our church to continue to sink into you more deeply, to be more known, to love even deeper, uh, to see an even larger impact for gospel purposes. And Father God, I thank you for those here. God, I ask that uh, the things that they're going through that are private and unknown, God, that you would continue to work with them and give them peace and satisfaction, God. Give them resolution. God, I thank you for those 
uh, that are hearing your word and you're convicting and changing and encouraging. We thank you for that, God. We love you. You're worth everything. All of the worship, all of the praise, and all of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You move as the Lord leads you.